also want to just um, pause for a moment just to bless single moms who are both mom and dad and who are in that role. And it's a very challenging place to be. And we just bless you guys so much for what you do and how you lay your lives down for your kids. And also, you know, and I just, this goes for men and women, but our older folks, you're not done yet. The Bible says that the older people, the older men should train the younger men. The older women should train the, the younger women in godliness and righteousness. And I tell you, older folks, you're not done yet. You may not have the energy you once had, but you have a you, you, you have things that God has deposited in your heart that you can pray for, mentor, meet with. And if, again, if nothing else, pray for the next generation and love them. They, they, they need you. So I just encourage you in that way. So let's uh, let's pray. We're going to get right into this morning. I'm excited about this message. And uh, glad you guys are probably glad that I'm glad that I'm excited about this message. It'd be a little bit weird if I wasn't. But I'm excited about this morning. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. That's not a pretty boy. what you are to do. And Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray for our men here, young and old, married or single, those with kids, those without kids, young men who are not married yet, young, uh, even boys, teenagers, God, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would become the men that you called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to do a little inventory of men today. We're going to take a look at what does it mean to be a man of God. It's just somewhat of all the message, and I believe it's to all men and the men in your life. So if you're here and the men in your life, ladies or children, but they're not here, um, you can be encouraged by this too. It's a sound scripture that I believe God's heart is to become all that God wants you to be as a man. And so today, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be our bidding. We're going to look at some inventory issues out of our lives as men. We're going to express ourselves before the Lord. We're going to look honestly at our hearts and allow God to call us out as men. And He's going to call us out. Now, this isn't intended to be raised with male bravado. Some of these Father's Day messages can get that way. True masculinity isn't about sports. Some guys love sports, some guys can't stand sports. You know, we use those analogies. And those analogies are okay, but not too much money. It's not about loving sports. It's not about how many times you see Braveheart or Gladiator. I'm glad you like that stuff. Some guys don't. But true masculinity, a real man of God, is a man who will run to the cross every day. And if he's married, he will leave his wife to the cross. If he has kids, he will lead his children to the cross. But true masculinity, it's not about sports or your favorite male movie. It is about a man that will run to the cross of Christ every day. And so this message is intended to ask the question, what does it mean to be a man of God? What's God's purpose and plan for you as a man? Or for the men in your life? What does it mean to be God's man, God's leader? Not a dictator, but a Christ-like man. First, I think it's vitally important that we understand something, that God has a mission and a vision for your life as a man. Whether you believe that or not, He has a mission and a vision for you as a man. He created you with a purpose. He created you with a destiny. And so as a man, do you know God's vision and mission for your life? Do you understand what He's called you to do? Because we understand the necessity to have a vision and a mission for like companies. And most companies, if you go in, you don't have to look too far to see something or unwritten material of their vision statement, their mission statement. Or as a church, and here at this church, we have a vision and mission statement. 
But do you as a man, do you know the vision that God has for you? The clear vision and mission for your life? I'm encouraging you to take that honest look because I, I think this includes having a vision and mission for your mar- marriage if you're married. What does God want for your marriage? I believe that if you have children, that you should have a vision and mission for your kids. I think you should have a vision and mission for your work and the things that you do. That you're placed in the church. Because I think the temptation for men is just to kind of haphazardly run through life and kind of get in a rut and we just kind of you know do our thing and, and life goes by. But there's a gnawing question in the heart, I think, of everyone, but today we're talking about men, is what does God want from me? What does He want me to do? Because I, men love a challenge. Men love a challenge. And when something is for us, that's why, you know, when, when somebody has need, uh, men tend to want to rally around those needs because they, they want to have, a, have something to live for. And we see it play out day by day, but I think it's more important to understand that spiritually we have a vision and mission. We're called to the higher thing. So if you haven't ever thought about this, today's the day to begin that process prayerfully. Asking God, God, what do you want me to do? What's the vision that you have for my life? Give me clarity. Many men struggle through their lives that make feel somewhat aimless or they feel like life is organized chaos. A lot of men are simply just trying to get through navigating one challenge after the next. There's no sense of purpose. There's no sense of direction. You know, life can just become survival mode where you're just treading water. You're just trying to keep your head above water. Instead of Making strides and getting somewhere, we're just trying to keep our head above water. You're not intended to live that way. We were created to live intentionally and purposefully. And that includes the mundane things of life. And I think even more importantly, the mundane things of life. That is where we are found. Life is not always adventurous. I mean, there's a level of adventure every day. But I think that a lot of times guys, they look at what mountain can I climb? And we have these huge bucket lists. I want to go skydiving, and, and, and nothing's wrong with that. And living out those adventures, let's go recall rock. And God might be just saying, "You need to engage your wife in conversation." And some guys would go, "I'd rather jump out of a plane." Your life can always be purposeful. I need to engage my children. To pray for my kids. Well, I'm not really like that. And God wants to be able to give you strength and courage to do what He's called you to do. In areas of our culture, we are seeing that as the men go, so goes the church. So goes the family. The numbers are there to support that. Nothing is harder on a family and a church than a man that has no vision, mission, or purpose in his life. There's a powerful prophetic picture found in Nehemiah. I've lived in Nehemiah for the last five, six years. And, 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 and it has spoken to me so much uh, personally. It's convicted me. It's challenged me. So I want to take a look at some of the components found in there as, as it pertains to men. I'm going to go quickly through that because that's not going to be the main part of our text. But here's some components found from Nehemiah. Here's the first one. You have a vision and mission from God. And I just said that. God gave Nehemiah this vision and this mission. Remember, he was the cupbearer of the king, the foreign king, and he got word that the, the walls of Jerusalem were in, they were in rubble, and, and he was just very burdened and, and, and struck in his heart and began to weep. And, he, and God began to speak to him to say, I want you to go back. I want you to lead a group of people that will rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And so God gave him a vision and a mission. And God has given you one as a man. And so he was, where, would, where, would, where did God find him to speak to him? He was, he was faithful. 
So he's just the cupbearer of the king, and he was this faithful servant, and God found him in a place of faithfulness. God, guys, God is looking for faithfulness in them. He's looking at, will you be faithful in what he's called you to do, even in the mundane things of life? And so no matter what you're doing as a job, God has a mission and a vision for your life. And so that is the first component to understand that. Number two, prayerfully watch what's going on around you. That's what the first thing that Nehemiah did. He didn't just get this vision and mission from God and go and then just start blowing everything up. But he, he actually went there. They spent some time. He gathered some leaders around him. They began to pray. He began to take inventory of what's happening around him. This is all in the book of Nehemiah. You can read about it. So he began to prayerfully watch what's going on around him. Guys, be prayerful. Be mindful of the things that are going on. Investigate what God is doing in your life. Be prayerful. The next thing is what Nehemiah did is he surrounded himself with those who encouraged him, challenged him, held him accountable. Guys, you need that. So he goes, he begins to investigate, and then it says he grabbed a few people around him. And they begin to pray together. They begin to kind of seek God together and say, what is God asking of us? And so we can see that play out in our lives. You need those who will encourage you in the Lord. You need those who will challenge you. Yes, it's okay to have friends that are not believers, that are not in the church. It's not that you should forsake those friendships. God is giving you those friendships for a reason. But you need godly men around you that will encourage you in the things of God to challenge you. To challenge you, to hold you accountable. If you do not like to be held accountable, that's a problem, guys. You need to want to be held accountable. That correctability, that's, that, that's God's mercy for you. And so Nehemiah had these men that would call him up and also have his back. It's like growing up with my brother. My brother's seven years older than me. He's six foot five. So he's always been a giant to me. Especially when we were little. I remember those days where he would want to play with me and I was kind of like his tackle dummy. Um, he brutalized me. I mean, he absolutely He made me kind of tough, but he, he brutalized me. I remember he would just pummel me and, and just knock me over and poke me in the ribs. You know, we would box and he would ram his fingers into my... I mean, I, I just, it, was, it was devastating. And I would go down and I would be out of breath. I would be crying and go, God, Mom, Dad, won't let us play anymore if you're crying. I'm like, what's the problem with this? I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, never learned my lesson. But you know, my brother had my back. There were times when I, there was one particular time where there was a couple older kids that came and they were going to bully me and a friend. And my brother came out of nowhere. He was mowing the lawn. He came running over. It was the coolest thing in the world. But that's kind of like, you know, family. If you can beat each other up, you know, but you got each other's back too. My brother would beat me up, but don't mess with my little brother. And in the church, we hold each other accountable. It's okay to to challenge each other, to lovingly challenge each other, but we need to pray for each other, encourage each other, and have each other's back. Men, we need that. Men that will push us towards, towards Jesus every day. This is another component. You need to know, men, where there's a vision, there's opposition. Men get in the heat of the battle, and it's so easy just to say, this is too intense to follow God, to follow Christ, to lead my family to Christ. This is way too difficult. And, and then what we do is we, we retreat into comfort. It's a tendency, it's a temptation for every man is for us to retreat into comfort. Instead of leading my family, it'd be just easier just to check out and go golf, go fish. I'm not against those things, guys. But when we live there and that's what we look forward to and that we waste our lives there, that's when it becomes a problem. But there is opposition. You need to get used to it. There is a battle. Paul talks about battle. The weapons of our warfare. I talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago. He said the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God and pulling us down in strongholds. You need to put on the armor of God. What is he saying there? The reality is that we are in a fight. 
spiritually there's battle all around. And we need to understand where there's vision and what we said before, there's a vision and a mission for your life as a man, there's going to be opposition to that vision. There's going to be. The enemy does not want you to become the man that God has called you to be. He says he's going to fight you. Well, Nehemiah and his group, they just kind of got used to the idea that we're in a fight. And there was times they would get discouraged. There were times when it was just easier to quit and they had so much to do and they were overwhelmed. They would look at just all the, you know, the broken down wall and the enemy is threatening them. The enemy is intimidating them. And they had to keep their eyes on the Lord and they had to keep their eyes on the vision and mission at hand. But there was opposition. The enemy, he wants, at, at every turn, he hopes to discourage you, defeat you, and make you give up. So the last component is we need to fight the right way. Here's one of the tendencies of the enemy. And this goes for everybody. I'm speaking to men, but this goes for everybody. A lot of this stuff crosses over. Here's what the enemy likes to do. He's very crafty, and I don't want to bring a lot of attention, but what he does is he tries to apply things in the midst of you that you begin to turn on each other. And I think that you see that he, he tries to do what God would do. Remember some of the battles that you read about in the Old Testament when God's people were surrounded on every side and maybe they were outnumbered and there was, you know, there's a few stories like that. And uh, the one with, I think about is Gideon where they are surrounded on every side. God narrows down the army to 300 and they blow the trumpets and they begin to shout before God. And what does it say? It says that God began to cause the enemy army to go into confusion where they begin to turn on themselves. Remember those stories? Well, the enemy wants to try to recreate that in the church. And that's why we have so many issues in the church is because he puts a little thing here, offense, unforgiveness, preferences, anger, bitterness, and he throws those in, and what we begin to do is we forget that there's a real enemy fighting against the vision and mission of our hearts, and we begin to turn on one another. And he stands back, and he's enjoying all of this, and so we need to fight the right way. There is a battle. It is real. I just told you about what Paul said. And so what does the enemy try to do? He may try to make it about your spouse, the church, your children. Your boss, your circumstances, and those are all the wrong enemy. Paul says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Stop looking at them. We're wrestling against something far greater, far darker. And so we need to fight the right way. Look at this passage from me and mine. I love this. This is right in the heart. They are rebuilding. They have the vision and mission. They all have the place on the wall. It's a real prophetic picture of the church. They're all doing their part. Nobody's just sitting idly by doing nothing. If you're a member of the kingdom of God and the church of the Lord Jesus, you were not created to sit there and do nothing. You are created to do work in the kingdom. Listen to what it says. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborer is, is giving out. So there's a reality there. It, we're getting weak. There's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they knew it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Doesn't that kind of sound somewhat like life sometimes? You have all this stuff before you. How are we going to ever get it done? It just seems like it's impossible. Discouragement, the enemy's intimidating over and over and here's what the, here was the response, Nehemiah. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, the exposed places. He's called those weak parts. Posting them by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. By, by families. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your family. Men, fight for your family. Your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. 
When I, and our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated, we all returned to the wall each to our own work. That is a fantastic passage. We know it's real. It's a huge job. We're going to need God to do it. The enemy is on every side intimidating us. So we're going to say, all right, my family, husbands, wives, kids, get together, pray together, fight for each other, not against each other. There is a job to do, and God who is awesome, remember the Lord who is awesome. And that was the word he's saying, remember, don't go by your own strength, don't fight in your own might. Remember the Lord who is awesome. Run to Him every day and get back to work. So it goes on to say that they worked with one hand. They had a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. And it says this, and it's not up there. So each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Both the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and it's spread out. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. And so all this stuff that they had to do when God went before them, they actually accomplished this in 52 days. And so there's times when things feel overwhelming in your life. You may be in one of those seasons right now. Things in your life are going kind of crazy. Your marriage may be hurting, suffering. Your kids, it seems like every time you turn around, something's going on with your kids. Work seems to be really hard. Your work conditions. Things that feel like they're just in a heap of rubble. And you'll feel like giving up and giving in. And you'll ask, what, what's the use? Why do you try? Have you ever been there? And so the answer is this, the Lord is with you. There is a mission and there's a vision for your life, for the church, for, the, for your marriage, for your children. And fight for your sons and daughters, your wives and your brothers and the church. Get back to work and don't get weary. So when we do what we're supposed to do, and we do it in unity, fighting next to each other instead of against each other, God will be there to fight for us. And so how do we fight as men? How do we figure out God's purpose, vision, and mission for our lives? I'm glad you asked that question. Great question. But as we ponder these, this we're going to get into the inventory of our lives. I'm going to look at a passage of Scripture that I I believe speaks into the heart of, of every man. Now, this passage is specifically deals with how to look for and appoint leaders in a church. It's Paul's letter to Timothy. If you ever, if you ever looking at like almost like a church how-to guide, Paul writes these letters to First uh, and Second Timothy, two letters to Timothy and one to Titus. These are young pastors that he has put in charge of churches that he has planted. And so he's writing to them, encouraging them as young men. He's mentoring them and he's fathering them. He even called him to be my son in the faith. And so he was mentoring and fathering him. And, and so this passage just specifically deals with how to look for and appoint leaders. But I believe that it even goes beyond that. I believe it's a blueprint and inventory of what it means to be a man of God. I think it's a challenge to all of us. How to, how to fight the right way. How to walk in God's purpose. How to walk in His vision and His mission for your life. So, the passage is from 1 Timothy. So, we're going to look at this passage as it pertains to us becoming men of God. And the men that God has called us to be. So, here, here's the way we start this. And I kind of put in there, it says, here's a trustworthy thing. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, elder, deacon, and you see, you know, the first part's about overseers, elders, the second part's deacons. We're going to just break it all down. But I even, I added in there, here's the first one saying, whoever aspires to be a man of God, a godly father, a godly husband, a leader desires a noble task. A noble task. To desire that. So we're going to look at these, and we're going to go through them rather quickly. What does it mean to be a man of God, first of all? A man of God is a buffered approach. This is what it says. You can, you can look these up and you can read through that some other time, but a man of God is above reproach. What does this mean? 
Reproach means to be found in fault. Disgraced, discredited, disqualified. In other words, decisions that you have made that have disgraced your name, they've discredited or disqualified you. Paul's saying a man of God is above reproach. Stay above this. He's saying, be a man of integrity and godly character. First Timothy 4.16, it's up there, it says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. What does he mean by that? He's saying, it's more than what you say, men. Watch your life and your doctrine. You can have the greatest of doctrine. You can learn how to say all the right things. You can have all the Christian answers to every question. But if it does not work over into the real world, into your life, it doesn't matter what your life and your doctrine, do they oppose one another? Just persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both in yourself and your hearers. Isn't that powerful? And what he's saying there is the decisions you make don't just affect you, but others around you. Your sin isn't just your sin. Your sin has a ripple effect of those around you. It affects others. So here's the redemptive part. What should you do if you are living in some level of reproach? You know, some... some some of us, we, we, we have made decisions or we've done things that have discredited or disqualified us in some level. Here's the merciful part of God. Repent, man. Remember what I said at the beginning. A godly man runs to the cross. He runs to Christ. Repent. Make things right. Step up and do the hard thing. You know, that's what discipline is. It's doing what you feel you don't feel like doing. And sometimes it, God requires us to do that hard thing. Have courage. He is with you. The Spirit of God is giving you power to do it. God can redeem. Now, it might take some time, but begin the journey back. Don't just say, it, well, it's, all, all, it's over. You know, I, I'm, I'm in reproach. I'm disqualified. I'm discredited. There's no chance for me. That is not true. God can redeem your life. And then ask for the Holy Spirit's power to stay above reproach. So the man of God is to be above reproach. Secondly, says this, the man of God is faithful to his wife or his future wife if you're single. Faithful to his wife. Malachi 2.15 says this, has not, the, has not the one God made you you belong to Him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. A man of God is faithful to his wife. Single men, if you're a man of God, be faithful to your future wife, even now. How are we faithful? We're faithful physically. We're faithful emotionally. We're faithful spiritually. Pornography is absolutely obliterating men. You saw a new stat the other day. 68%. 68% of men regularly look at pornography. Six out of ten, close to six out of ten churchmen. have looked at pornography at least a handful of times over the last year. This is an epidemic, and it is taking men out left and right. So we have to fight the right fight, get the help that we need. And even above, above that, guys, how are you faithful to your wife? How do you respond to the opposite step? How do you treat the opposite step? Are you faithful to your wife? Faithfulness is, is tested when no one is around. 
godly man is faithful to his wife, or his future wife. Thirdly, I'll think of that. Sorry, guys. Stop. A godly man is temperate. What does it mean to be temperate? It means to be self-restrained. Not extreme. This is the definition. Not extreme in action or statement. Temperate people having a calming effect when you are around them. So it's not as extreme in action or statement. You know, when you're when, when, especially when you go through trials, you go, well, I'm, I'm just going to make this snap decision and do something kind of extreme in one way or the other. Now, you should be extreme in fighting the battle. If you're dealing with pornography, you need to kill that thing. But I'm talking about where you're extreme in action or statement in the heat of an argument. In the heat of the battle, an unstable man is all over the place. Emotionally, physically, they jump to conclusions. They're unpredictable. This is the opposite of temporal or temporal. They make assumptions. Then they make decisions and statements on those assumptions. They're blown from here to there. They're emotionally all over the place. And as men, one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our families is being temperate, even-keeled, steady, prayerful, guided by the Holy Spirit, quiet strength. man of God is to be temperate. man of God is to be self-controlled. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. A godly man is a man who operates in the spirit of self-control. Kind of goes hand in hand with being temperate. But the Holy Spirit gives you the power to control yourself. A self-controlled man isn't driven by his passions. He's not dictated by his emotions or his circumstances. But he, again, he is led by the Lord. He is led by the Spirit. And self-control plays out in every aspect of my life, physically. Am I self-controlled physically? Guys, as part of God's vision and mission, He might require you to do something that you physically need to be able to do. How we take care of ourselves is so important. Mentally, how you take care of yourself. Are you self-controlled mentally? Are you self-controlled spiritually? So the question is, the inventory is, what controls you? And be honest with yourself. What controls you? Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. Remember that the famous passage, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, I spoke like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things behind me. And there's a lot of men that are still dealing with childish things. They have addiction centers now for video game addicts. And it's not just 18, 19-year-old kids. They've got men in their 40s that are at these places. Addicted to video games into their 40s. A man of God is self-controlled. A man of God is respectable. It's about your reputation. What is said of you? Do people respect you? Or have you lost the respect of those around you? Do people honor you? Proverbs 22.1 A good name or a good reputation is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Guys, you have only one reputation. What are you known for? Are you known for diligence? Are you known to be a hard worker? When people speak of you, what are the first things that come to their mind? Yes, he's trustworthy. 
that guy has my back. He's a man of his word, or is it just the opposite? He's not trustworthy. He's not a man of his word. We're not sure where he's at. He's unstable. He's blown from here to there. Guard your reputation. And again, if you have areas where you've blown it, repent, make it right, and start to make the change today. The Holy Spirit will give you power to do that. A man of God, next, is hospitable. Do people like to be around you? Do you connect with others on a regular basis? And this is kind of having that spirit of being hospitable. It, the, 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 the definition it means to treat people warmly and generously. To be open and receptive. Do you have a hospitable spirit or do you have a grumpy spirit? A spirit that just kind of keeps people away at arm's length. Do I run the other way? Do I, do I kind of just put my head down and go about my day? Do you engage with others? Are you too busy and you blast by them? I'm not telling, saying that there are some times where you know, you've got to be somewhere and you've got to do. I understand that. I'm talking about as a general rule. Because two more of the fruits of the Spirit are joy and kindness. You walk in those with hospitality. Here's the next, a man of God. A man of God must be able to teach. Now this passage is specific to church leaders being able to teach down doctrine and scripture. They are called to do that. Elders. But as men, we are all teachers, aren't we? We teach by how we live our lives. We are forever training the next generation, not just by words, but how we act. There was a very popular video um, a while back, but and I actually showed it, I, I think, a couple of years ago. But it shows these little boys, and they're watching their dad, and they're, they're, they're just following along, doing exactly what their dad is doing. You know, the one who's... The, 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 the dad's hammering, doing something. The little boy's over at his little toy workbench and he's looking at dad and he's doing what dad does. And then they show a couple of issues where dad is on the phone and he's kind of angry and acting. The kid is over there, has his little toy phone and he's acting kind of mean. It's somewhat cute, but it's very convicting. And then at the end, they have this little boy look right in the camera and he says, Dad, I'm watching you. It pierced me in my heart. Because, guys, we are teaching. We are discipling by how we live our lives. Our kids watch how we treat their mother. Our kids watch how we engage with other people. Our kids hear us complain and grumble. And our kids also hear when we encourage and we're building up other people. Because there, I, I tell you what, there's, there's no greater lesson than to look at your kid and they're doing something and you have that moment, that epiphany, seeing yourself. Isn't that convicting? I've had that happen many times. A few years ago, I was engaged with Taylor in a, in a conversation. It's a nice way of saying we were at a tense moment. I was challenging him with something. I, I don't even remember what it was about. But it was very convicting. And I had to leave there. I also had to ask him to forgive me because I was like looking at myself. And the Lord's like, you know why he's doing that? I'll give you three guesses and the first two don't count. He's you. And you taught him that. Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm not preaching this to you. I'm preaching to us today. Just because pastors get up and yammer their mouths doesn't mean that they've got it all figured out. These are convicting things. These are things that I've processed and prayed through. God, help me. Forgive me. Oh, God, thank you for pointing that out because I've really failed miserably there. I'm a broken man just like you trying to get it all right, but we teach. We teach. 
by how we act and react? Do they see us being template? Do they see us being self-controlled? Titus 2, 6-8, this passage, it says, Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. This is to older men, too. In everything, what does it say? Set them an example by doing what is good. What is Paul saying? It's okay to teach them. You need to teach them. You need to use your words. But set an example for them. In your teaching, show integrity is what he says. Seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. In other words, they're trying to slander us. The enemy's trying to take us down. And people are it's like, well, we, but we can't really figure out anything bad to say about them because they're living above reproach. So men used to be leading the way in your family by teaching them the things of God. What it means to follow Jesus, to love Him, to walk with Him. Lead your family to church. The studies, the research out there is astronomical by men who will diligently, they're the ones that lead their family to church. The retention of kids staying in church is so high, as opposed to the dad being checked out and mom is always leading them to church. Mom still do that, yes, but dads lead. In the old days, in the you know, in the Old Testament times, in the first century church, it was it was the, the dads are the ones that would set the tone by if we were going to go to the temple and go to church. The dads are the ones that did that. They set the tone, and that's one of the epidemics of the church is that you see a lot of men checking out and men are going hunting and fishing and golfing and moms are bringing their kids to church. And then dads, by doing that, what you're telling your children is church is not that important. Do it if you have time. If, it, if you have it left over, go ahead and do that. Men, you can be diligent in getting your families to church and to worship together in unity. Your kids are watching. Make it a priority. If you make it a priority, they make it a priority. Next, if they're not given to drunkenness. That's what it said, the man of God is not given to drunkenness. Or you can say addictions of all kinds. This goes hand in hand with self-control. Do you have an addiction that is controlling you? Pornography, video games, eating, alcohol, some other thing. A man of God is not given to drunkenness. Be courageous enough to admit it. And then be courageous to do whatever it takes to get through. Remember what Jesus said. This has always been kind of an interesting passage to me. And you read it. And he said, remember he's keeping the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if your right eye offends you, what do you do with it? You gouge it out. If your right hand offends you, what does he say? Cut it off. Is he saying literally, physically maim yourself? No, he's saying be violent with those things that are taking control of your life. Don't entertain it. Don't justify it. Don't make excuses for it. He said, don't just cover the eye up. Do whatever it takes to get free. Cut it off. Paul says to Timothy, Flee youthful lust. Flee those things that stimulate youthful lust. You know what flee means? Run hard. Sprint away. Do whatever it takes to get free. Humble yourself. Get the help that you need. A man of God is not given to drunkenness. A man of God is not violent, but gentle. A man of God is not violent, but gentle. Men, men, you're called to lead your lives and family, but not as a dictator. Drives me crazy when you hear of men say, woman, you're told to submit to me. It's like, well, yeah, if you're loving her like Christ loves the church and laying his life down for her, she might would submit to you. But we use these passages to 
almost to dictate our families and rule with this iron fist. That is not what God intended when those scriptures were written. So if you could follow Christ and lay your life down and treat her gently and love her. If you leave your house through threats and intimidation and everybody's trembling when you walk in the door, that is not the sign of a strong man. It's a little boy who's insecure and he's trying to flex his muscles and prove something to somebody. You're not tough. You're actually very weak. Man is man of God is temperate. He's self-controlled. He's even healed. When he walks in the house, his wife should feel a level of peace that he's home. The children should feel a level of dad's home, not fear. And again, get the help you need if you're dealing with issues of the past because a lot of times guys, what they're doing is they've not ever learned how to be a man and it's frustrating and then I don't know what to do so then I'll just rule with fear and intimidation tactics. Get the help you need. Humble yourself. Don't make excuses for it. You're called by the Spirit to have a gentle spirit. That's what it says. Paul says that you should not be violent, but be gentle. Gentleness, that's another fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you power. Ephesians 5, love your lives as Christ from the church and gave himself up for you to be laying your life down. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers don't exasperate your children or frustrate them or treat them harsh to them, but bring them up in the training of the Lord. If you have been or are violent, get the help that you need. Repent of the sins of violence and intimidation and abuse. And guys, don't just be sorry. Be different. Commit to change. Because there are eternal implications for our decisions, good or bad. And then this, humble yourself and get counseling. Going to a counselor isn't a shameful thing. In fact, I think it's an untapped part of the body of Christ. I think as Christians, we go, well, I've got the Lord. I don't really even need to go there. Sometimes you need to go to a counselor. I'm saying find someone that's going to have a biblical perspective. There are great psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors that are Christians that have a biblical perspective that will help you look at some of the emotional things, but also the spiritual side, too. It's not wrong to humble yourself and get the help you need. See, so many people say, I'll get through it in 10, 15, 20 years and still dealing with the same stuff. If depression, anxiety, anger, those issues, go get help. Admit it. Next command, God is not quarrelsome. You like to argue all the time? Do you constantly look for a quarrel, look for a fight to jump into? Stop. In the name of what? There are times to stand for truth and righteousness, but do it in the right way and the right spirit. That's what he's saying. He says, the man of God is not quarrelsome. A quarrelsome person is just belligerent, they're argumentative, they're just like... If I could describe it with a sound effect. And it's almost like trying to hit those buttons just to try to make them rise up. Do you like to do that? Stop doing that. Argumentative. They're inclined to just disagree about everything. Again, there are times, but when you're known for it, it's really annoying. As a man of God, don't be quarrelsome. It's not a virtue. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, Opponents must be gently corrected in the hope that God would grant them repentance and the knowledge of the truth. That's why I'm always impressed by those people that can just keep an even kill, they have an even spirit. Again, they're not just, you know, emotionally going, whoa, you know, way over there. And they, and they just kind of seem to keep control. They might be the guy over there in the corner. Or it's those people that you know, they, they say very few words, but when they speak, everyone listens. And they just have this even feel godly response. When I grow up, I want to be like that. A man of God is not a lover of money. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to make lots of money. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. 
But the problem is when money controls you. And here's the thing. Honestly, in your heart, as you do your inventory, you know if you have that problem when it controls you. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil, if you thought that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Do you think about money all the time? Are you consumed with having stuff? Are you greedy and when you get your money, the first thing you think about is you? Are you stingy or are you generous? Jesus says it best, Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So Jesus calls us out. The whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus calling us out. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. In other words, Jesus is saying, show me what you spend your money on and I'll show you where your priorities are. Show me what you put your time and your money into and I'll show you where you worship. Again, that doesn't mean that you should desire to live in poverty. You should work hard. You should provide financially for your family. That is a godly thing to do. In fact, that's a part of helping your family feel secure when you are providing for them or part of the provision. Some wives work too, but you're a part of the providing. You're commanded to do that. It's when money becomes your love, your focus, and your God that it becomes sin. Next, the man of God must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must not do so in a, he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Why? There's that conditional clause there that, that, that Paul puts in there. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. And what he's saying is there's a right way to do it. Again, this points to how we lead as men, not as dictators, but as gentle, Christ-like men. He said, yes, you should see that your children obey, obey you, but don't force your kids. Don't, again, don't exasperate them. But do it in a gentle way. Guard your life and your doctrine, as we've talked about earlier. You live in such a way that they honor your life and respect you. If you're living a Christ-like life, I guarantee that your kids will find it easier to obey you. Winding down. says that the man of God must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And I think this specifically is about your reputation with those outside the faith, the lost, unbelievers. Do you have a good reputation? This is absolutely huge. Do they see the gospel in your life? Do you go to church on Sunday and are involved in the church, but you live a double life outside the church? But James says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You're saying this, but you're living this. And here's the thing is our reputation with outside should walk people's eternal souls are on the line, and we will be held accountable. We will be held accountable. Paul then says this, a man of God is not pursuing dishonest gain. A man of God does not pursue dishonest gain. What is he saying? Be above board on all your dealings. Walk in integrity. Take the high road. Don't take advantage of people to make a dollar. Don't cheat on your taxes. Say no to gambling. Work hard at what you do, but don't pursue dishonest gain. And then lastly is this. Closing up with this. A man of God must keep hold of the deep truth of the faith with a clear conscience. What is Paul saying? Guys, walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus every day. Ultimately, this is, that's the way you walk all of this out. Because in this inventory, and, and I love, Paul does this a lot. Paul does it in the love chapter. Paul does it when he's talking about marriage. Paul does it when he's talking about 
um, faithfulness in the church, your family. He does this a lot. What he does is he likes to give you a list, love his patience, love his time, all that, and he loves it. Give you an inventory to make you feel overwhelmed. Because what he's doing is brilliant. What he's doing is saying, you need to know you can't in your own strength pull any of this off. That's why you need Jesus. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Because he said that the, the inventory can be overwhelming, but the good news is that you can do it. You start today by falling at Jesus' feet in a new way as a man. Let the first thing that you do be to be humble yourself before Christ. Repent of your sins. Realize that you're desperately needy of Him every day. That in your self-reliance, you are weak. Reject passivity. Reject excuses. Reject justifying it. Come to the cross and realize that you need Christ. And realize and ask for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to give you supernatural ability to live the life you're called to live. Because here's the thing, He loves you. He has a vision. Remember the very first thing I said in those, the, the, those concepts from Nehemiah is God has a vision, mission, plan, and purpose for your life. He wants to help you walk this out. He longs to help you walk this out. And here's how you lead, guys. You don't lead by intimidation. You don't lead by being a dictator, you lead by running to Jesus and the cross every day. Lead your wife and your children to Christ and the cross. Pray for them. Men, pray for your family every day. Pray for them. Ask for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be in your walk and their walk. As they see you running to Christ, they will follow Be like Joshua, you know, at the end of his life when he gathers all the people before him. And he steps before them this day, to this day and says, you know what? I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm not going to force you to do anything. God's not going to force you to do anything. Kind of my translation. I'm giving you my translation. And I stand before you here, here today, guys, that, you know, I can preach all this say what I say, and they absolutely can go one ear out the other. It can mean nothing to you because you can literally leave here and you can do whatever you want to do. Thank God that we live in a nation because we do what we want to do, right? We're not dictated by anybody to tell us and make us do anything. And so as Joshua said, I'm not going to make you do anything and God will not make you do anything. And you can leave here and it can just all be the same and you can live the life that you're going to live. I'll be held accountable for what I speak. You'll be held accountable for what you do with what, what you heard. Ultimately, from God and from the Scripture. But here's what Joshua says. Whatever you guys do is what you're going to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And guys, you have to stand up like Joshua and say, I don't, I, don't, I don't care what anybody else is doing around me. You guys can do what you need to do. But as for me and my house, today I am setting a new foundation and I am going to serve the Lord. Me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I'm going to run after Christ. I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm not going to make excuses for my sins. And I'm going to run after Jesus every day. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And let me leave you with this. The little passage of Scripture that you're going to get, you're going to get a little candy bar and you leave. Enjoy it. That little, but we started out with it. Here's what Nehemiah said, and I say this to you as men. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes, and I'll add this, your church, your brothers and sisters in the church, and for the lost who need Jesus desperately. 
fight, men, and fight the right way. Run to the cross and lead your family to us, too. Let's stand. God, today I thank you, Lord, for who you are, Lord, as the ultimate man's man. Lord, that you model all the stuff that we talked about today. What does it mean to be a man of God? You walked it out. You were, you were temperate. You weren't blown from here to there. You weren't emotionally all over the place. You had such self-control. You knew who you were in, in, in the Father. You served and washed feet and didn't think anything about it. You didn't force yourself upon people that I am the king and I, I'm going to command you to do this and that. Lord, you, just, you, you were who you were. Jesus, thank you for being the ultimate man and our ultimate example. And ultimately, the way you fought for all of us, because that's what you did. You fought for us as you went to the cross and died for us. Lord, thank you for giving your life. God, I pray in here, Lord, for all of our men, Young men, old men, married men, single men, wherever they find themselves at, God, that they would be encouraged today. That they can be who you call them to be. You've given them your power. You've given them the Holy Spirit, which enables them to have the power to do what you call them to do. Lord, that they would not leave this place feeling overwhelmed, but they would feel, leave this place saying, I am not fighting alone. And I have a new resolve to run to the cross. I have a new resolve to lead my family to the cross. And that God, we would be who you call us to be. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Love you, God.